0: What if a patient makes a sexual advance toward you? What if you think a patient is faking? You're listening to ReachMD, XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Today, we are discussing a recently published book for physicians, What If? The Survival Guide for Physicians. In this segment, we will be focusing on problems during one-on-one encounters, encounters of the most intimate kind. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Ronald Goodspeed, co-author of the book, What If? The Physician Survival Guide. He is president and CEO of the South Coast Hospitals Group in Massachusetts and is board certified in internal medicine. Welcome, Dr. Goodspeed.
1: Thank you very much, Michael.
0: Well, I think first things first, what if a patient makes a sexual advance toward you?
1: Luckily, this is not really a common problem, but it does happen. And unless you're a psychiatrist, it's likely you have not had any training to deal with this situation. The bottom line is ethical behavior really must prevail, even if both you and the patient are single. These situations can happen, and you you really have to look at what you think you saw, what you think happened pretty closely, and try to evaluate what's happening here. There are actually some... Personality types, such as the histrionic personality, who may come across as though they're being flirtatious, and yet that's not really where they're headed. It's just they have a tremendous need for attention. Be that as it may, the key thing is ethical behavior. The patient in this instance has crossed a boundary, and you need to reset that boundary. You need to gently remind the patient that you're really most able to be of help as a clinician, and that's the limit of the relationship. And if you're having inappropriate feelings, which can happen because we're all humans, you need to recognize that. You should be very self-aware. And if you're having those types of feelings with patients, it's really inappropriate, and you need to get some help. You need to seek some help. And in the meantime, you should have chaperone accompany you whenever you see patients of, of the opposite sex. And there is help available for physicians who are having this this difficulty, usually through the state medical society, They'll have a physician's health program that helps physicians deal with things like that.
0: Well, another question that your book deals with is somewhat the opposite situation. What if a patient of the opposite gender doesn't want you in the exam room?
1: This certainly um, does happen from time to time, especially more often early in your career. The thing to do is immediately reassure the patient that that won't be a problem and just Say to them that you can certainly arrange for somebody of the same sex to, to be examining them. And then politely ask them if they would be willing to talk to you about their illness and, and answer a few questions. Also, um, depending on the circumstances, if you haven't really introduced yourself very well, you should clearly introduce yourself and, and what, what your purpose is. I think that in a situation where you can at least get a history from the patient, Probably 90% of diagnosis comes from a good history um, and being able to put together those clues. And it's your opportunity to develop rapport. Whatever you do, don't be defensive about it. Don't be condescending or insulting to the patient um, at the patient's request. And in the interview process, really try to conduct a very patient-centered interview in which you're really only interested in, in what the patient has to say and where the patient wants to go with his or her description of, of the problem. It's an awkward situation when this happens. It's one that sometimes can, we can feel offended. But again, reassure the patient and keep in mind uh, patient rights are first and foremost and be understanding about it.
0: That's sound advice and it does come up from time to time. I want to ask a question about the book in general. Who do you think will benefit most from the book? Well, I
1: think the intent with, with the book was to describe situations that were typically you weren't necessarily taught in a formal way in your medical training. So some of those are actually patient encounter situations that the greatest benefit is, is the younger physician or the, or the medical student resident in training. But also it was circumstances, situations where you find yourself either too far from a medical facility and the problem is not one that is in your specialty or you're in a social situation where a medical event occurs and the friends and family around you expect you as a physician to know what to do and to take action. And again, all too often, the problem isn't in your specialty. So it's actually a broad spectrum of physicians that can benefit by the various portions of the book.
0: What if you think a patient is faking?
1: This what if can range from a patient simply exaggerating in order to get a note for work or or convince you to do something else in terms of writing a prescription, all the way to the to the unusual uh, circumstance of a Munchausen syndrome, wherein a patient creates a factitious disease, a factitious disease picture in order to be a patient. So you should suspect a patient is faking if their history is rather vague and inconsistent, or they're talking about symptoms that don't make sense. The classic line is the, stocking-glove numbness, you know, where a patient is, their entire hand is is numb, um, and it doesn't fit proper dermatome patterns, or complaining of something just out of proportion, for example, talking about a headache that they've had for one year or, or more uh, on a constant basis, with the suspicion or concern that perhaps the patient is faking, it's important to take a careful history and use repetition as a tool, asking the same question in different ways to see if you're getting consistent answers. Inconsistencies should further raise your your suspicions. I can talk about some specific maneuvers for specific situations if you want to take the time to do that, or we can just keep it general.
0: Well, uh, give us one specific situation.
1: Uh, A specific situation may be a situation where a patient is claiming that they're unable to move their leg. And one common maneuver to use to uh, test the veracity is, is let's, let's pretend the, the affected leg is the left leg, and you stand at the foot of the bed and put your hands, under e- one hand under each heel of the patient, and you ask them to raise the affected leg that they claim that they, they cannot lift, so in this case the left leg, you ask them to lift the leg, left leg, and if they are truly trying to lift the left leg and unable to, you will feel downward pressure on the right heel. This has uh, been a, described as a Hoover's sign or Hoover maneuver and, and sometimes, and it can be effective in sorting out whether or not a patient is faking that paralysis.
0: Uh, well, that's an interesting trick. I, I, I didn't hear that before. What if there is a bad outcome to a labor and delivery uh, patient that you were involved with. Obviously, this is of great concern to me, but I think it has some general interest for our audience.
1: As an obstetrician, uh, Michael, I'm sure you've had to deal with circumstances like that. I think for for the non-obstetrician who has not really had the training or, or the experience, it's important to keep several things in mind. And so what what might be the circumstances? Well, you might be a, a medical student on service, or you may be a, a, a consultant physician coming to see the obstetrical uh, patient uh, afterwards, for another problem, such as hypertension. It's important to keep in mind that this, for most parents in this situation, if it's a, a fetal demise or stillbirth, this is really felt as the death of their baby. It's a huge loss. It's the loss of uh, of a dream if it's their first attempt at having a child. It's the loss of their role as a parent and it's a loss of their confidence in their ability to have children and it creates a fair amount of uncertainty and despair. So you should approach them, the parents, in a very caring way and expressing your understanding of their loss. Be supportive. Acknowledge the severity of the experience they've been through and encourage them to talk about it. They'll be trying very hard to understand what's happened, and they'll look to you, even if you're not an obstetrician, for answers. Listen carefully. Uh, Give answers that you are confident in, But if you're not, be open and honest about that and and express your willingness to help them get some answers to that. Whatever you do, don't be blaming of any of the parties involved, including the patients. Try to also encourage them and and talk to them about the risks of this happening again are relatively low and that they should be very hopeful about the the future.
0: Well, that actually depends on their very specific circumstances because that not always is the case. I guess it kind of depends on, on the disease. A lot of times it would seem to be a random event, but there are a few circumstances that tend to repeat themselves, I guess.
1: If it happens you know, earlier in the, in the pregnancy, say less than 27 weeks or so, there's probably a slightly higher incidence of, of a repeat than under other circumstances, I would think.
0: What if you made a mistake with a patient? What do you do then?
1: This is a particularly interesting area to talk about these days. What the history has been, for the most part, until recent years, is uh, I guess the sort of cynical comment has been, doctors bury their mistakes. And in years gone by, I think that was probably more truth than than just cynicism. And such mistakes uh, that have been made, or medical errors that have been made, have been kept undercover. And in fact, malpractice insurance companies have generally been quite opposed to disclosure. But things are really changing. And research and experience are indicating that disclosures of medical errors and apologies for medical errors can reduce the incidence and the size of malpractices. Patients have a universal desire to know what happened and to hear a sincere apology. So what do you do Um, when the clinical situation has resolved itself? Because obviously if there's a mistake, sometimes there's corrective action that's needed immediately. So once that's under control, there's a calm moment when you can sit and talk quietly with the patient and the family. You should do that. But to do that, plan your approach. If you're working in an institution that has a professional risk manager, you should work with that person ahead of time to plan your approach. And then when you go to talk to the patient and family, take that person with you. The key is to convey what you know and clearly answer any questions. Sometimes there's a pending investigation, and it's important that you talk about that as well. And talk about the follow-up that might occur uh, to the patient and family after that investigation. Certainly be prepared for anger or disappointment and in many instances just simple gratitude for, your, for you being open and honest about it. Be supportive and then depending on the circumstances you may be wanting to offer counseling. Whatever you do, don't be defensive, don't blame others, and don't blame the patient. I think one of the the best statements I've ever seen with regard to this approach to mistakes. Um, I saw in the Wall Street Journal it was a plaintiff's attorney, and the direct quote was, the hardest case for me to bring to court is one where the defense has admitted an
0: error. I think that sounds like very sound advice Uh, from a plaintiff's attorney's mouth, no less. I want to thank Dr. Ronald Goodspeed, co-author of the book, What If?, the Physician Survival Guide, who's been our guest. In this segment, we focused on problems during one-on-one encounters. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.